Would you stand with me as we come now to the reading from Matthew chapter 8? And we're looking at beginning uh, verse 18 and then until verse 22. As I say, Matthew chapter 8 and beginning at verse 18. And as we turn up that page, let's, as we stand, bow our heads and ask for God's help as we come to God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we do give you praise for all these baptisms today. What a joy it is to see new life. Thank you, Father, that you are not a dead God, but living at work, breathing new life into your people. Father, we come now not to a dead word, but to your living word. Powerful, like a double-edged sword, able to heal, useful for encouraging, correcting, training, strengthening. Father, then as we come to this passage, we pray that your word, by your spirit, according to your will, would do its work. Soften our hearts, we pray, to receive from you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So my friends, Matthew chapter 8, and uh, I'm going to read beginning at verse 18 until verse 22. Now when Jesus saw a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. This is the word of the Lord. Do please sit down, my friends. Well, first of all, I just want to say congratulations to those who have been baptized today. Your, your family are with you, of course, and uh, we're rejoicing with the baptism and with friends and family who have gathered. It's a good day at Cottage Church. We have 13 baptisms today, which is uh, really exciting. God is at work here. Uh, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad to be here. Welcome back those uh, Wheaton College students. We're thrilled that you're back with us for another year, and we're looking forward to worshiping together and discovering what Jesus has to say through his word to us all. Now this morning we're looking at Matthew chapter 8, 
And uh, these verses, verse 18 through to 22. And of course, this is a challenge. That's very clear, isn't it? Jesus is issuing a challenge to a couple of individuals and a fairly profound challenge at that. But what perhaps is slightly less obvious immediately is what is at the back of that challenge. In other words, here Jesus, though he is issuing a strong and high-level challenge, Jesus is not a hard taskmaster. Perhaps you remember from John's gospel how it is described that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. So Jesus here in issuing this challenge that is surely in this passage is drawing out for these potential disciples the opportunity to see Him for who He really is and all that He has to offer, all the grace and truth. I don't know what kind of challenges that uh, you have accepted in your life. Uh, Perhaps you at one point decided that you would like to run a marathon or climb a mountain or have more children. Many different challenges that we face through life. No challenge is greater than the challenge of following Jesus. And yet it is worth it. Why? Because of who He is. Because of who He is. Let's look down then at this this challenge that we find in the verses in front of us. So as you look down with me at your Bibles, you'll see that in verse 18, Jesus is setting up a challenge, I think. So he sees that there's a great crowd around him. Well, Jesus teaches great crowds uh, on occasion, but on this, uh, this time, on this occasion, Jesus instead deliberately, he gives orders, he gives the word He deliberately leaves. He gives orders to go to the other side of the lake. It's as if Jesus is seeing this great crowd, and of course at this stage in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has not yet formally called the twelve apostles, the twelve disciples, and so there are many different kinds of disciples at many different levels of understanding and commitment. And Jesus now is issuing an implicit challenge by going to the other side and who will follow? Well, there are a couple of immediate uh, possibilities, aren't there? And so there are two potential disciples. The first is in verses 19 and 20, and the second that we'll look at in, in verses 21 and 22. The first of these uh, potential disciples is, well, rather over-eager. Did you see that? I will follow you wherever you go, he says, verse 19. He, uh, 
is excited perhaps by the great crowds that he sees gathering around Jesus. I think you see this potential disciple has not yet fully grasped who Jesus is. He calls him teacher, rabbi. And I think this, uh, this man is seeing Jesus attracting these great crowds and healing many people. And in such a religious nation as Israel, he sees a new school being developed, a new teaching. And he's thinking to himself, well, I want to get in on the front row of that teaching. I want to learn from this man so that I too can draw such great crowds and the fame and the fortune, perhaps, that could be on offer. He does not really fully understand who Jesus is, I think. He, he calls him rabbi. Well, that was a high accolade for a scribe to call Jesus teacher, for Jesus had not gone through the official training program of a rabbi, and yet he calls him teacher, so he he is respecting him, he is honoring him, teacher. And yet, did you notice what Jesus calls himself? So Jesus, in verse 20, says, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. Uh, various ancient uh, early church commentators spiritualized the foxes and the birds in various ways. But I think Jesus is just saying there that while beasts and birds at least have somewhere that they can call their own as a home. Not so Jesus, a traveling preacher. He has nowhere to lay his head, nowhere that he can call his home. But do you notice how Jesus describes himself as he issues this challenge? Again, he's drawing out who he really is. So the man says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, The Son of Man. Now this is the first time that Jesus has used this characteristic description of himself in Matthew's Gospel. But it is a typical one for Jesus to use in self-description. Uh, most people think that it's taken from Daniel chapter 7, and there in that uh, part of the uh, prophecy of Daniel is predicted uh, a divine figure who will come. And so, uh, somewhat counterintuitively, the phrase son of man does not so much emphasize the humanity as the divinity. One like a son of man will come. This, this divine figure. And Jesus takes this term from the Old Testament and he fills it with his own personality, with his own teaching, with his own healing, with his own characteristic activity. He is the Son of Man, this divine-like figure walking the earth in front of the scribe. And so he's asking for far more than simply following a teaching. Far more than simply following a teacher. 
It was good for the scribe to describe Jesus as a teacher. But Jesus is not just a teacher. He is the Son of Man. And therefore, to follow Him, even if it meant such extreme devotion as this, is is completely worth it because of who He is. Because He gets to be with Jesus. Now, of course, you see, this scribe, I think, is falling into a typical tendency of such people as scribes. As you may well know, the scribes in the New Testament were often, of course, connected with the Pharisees as opposing Jesus. Here, there's no sense and no hint, I think, that he's opposing Jesus. He's just, well, rather over-eager. But the scribes, you see, were scholars. They were experts in the biblical law and applying it to the um, problems and the difficulties of the people of the day. He was a, an expert in Moses, a biblical scholar, a scribe, a professional class, a learned man. And like, you know, how, do, how then does this, this part, this particular uh, disciple and what it is teaching connect with us. Like, like many of us, you and I, we, who love the teaching of the Bible and love scholarship, there is a tendency to have an intellectual admiration of Jesus, to be able to say that He is omniscient and omnipotent and therefore anything He wants from me is fine. Intellectual admiration, teacher, teaching, rabbi, scholar, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And yet when there is something that really is about giving up and the comforts of home, well, that's more difficult. It reminds me a little of one story I once heard from a preacher about two Uh, boys from the east end of London who were playing the game of marbles, you see. And they were best friends. And uh, we'll call them Jack and John or something like that. Perhaps they got confused. Jack, John, you know. And uh, so there they are playing marbles. And John is, is losing. He's only got two marbles left. And Jack has now, you know, five or something. And so as they're playing... Uh, John says to his best friend, Jack, Jack, if you had a thousand marbles, would you give them to me? And Jack says, well, yes, of course you're my best friend. I'd I'd give them all to you. And so they carry on playing a little bit more. And then John says to Jack, well, Jack, if if you had 500 marbles, would would you give them to me? And Jack says, we're best friends. I give them all to you. They carry on playing, and you know Jack still has his five, and John has his two or three or something like that. And then John says to his best friend Jack, Jack, if you had five marbles, would you give them to me? And Jack says, that's not fair. You know I've got five marbles. <laughs> not many of us, perhaps, will be called to entirely leave home, though that is the case, it's worth it. Not many of us perhaps will be called to be a traveling preacher, but 
the intellectual admiration of Jesus with all His brilliance. Well, He's more than a teacher. He's the Son of Man. And so whatever those five marbles might be for you, whatever the cost might be for you, Jesus is saying, He's the Son of Man. It's, it's worth it. It's worth giving that up. And many times over. Of course, the other way this connects for us is specifically with homes. So I say, I, I, I suspect few of us will be called to have homelessness on our resume or CV for Jesus, though it is possible. But all of us are called to live for Jesus in the intimacy of the home. He's not just a teaching. He's not just a teacher. Even in the dormitory. Even in the home. Jesus, as it were, wakes us up early and has us get on our knees to have a quiet time. He goes through the, uh, the rack of DVDs and says, is that particular DVD really helping you grow in your following of me? The intimacy of home life. Not just a teaching. Throughout all of life. And if that sounds a lot, it is, but it is all worth it for who Jesus is, the Son of Man. So we've had, my friends, first the rather over-eager disciple, and perhaps it's also a word for those of us who look for volunteers. We perhaps might not reply the same way that Jesus did when someone volunteered for our ministry. But there is wisdom in Jesus raising the bar, for he is looking for true commitments. Those who will stay the course. Now we come to the next potential disciple. This is verses 21 and 22. And if the first man was rather overeager, this uh, disciple is rather reluctant, isn't he? So look down with me at, uh, at uh, these verses. Here we are, my friends. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to me, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Well, these verses are immediately rather surprising. When the man says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father, it seems to, to us to be a perfectly reasonable request, doesn't it? Um, natural, even Christian. Uh, it is appropriate and right to perform the, the Christian burial service. And so it leaves us uh, puzzling as to why this request was not accepted by Jesus. But here's one of these instances where it's very helpful to have an understanding of, of ancient Middle Eastern culture. For there are various options as to what this man is saying, but the one thing he is not saying is, my father has just died let me go to his funeral. What are the options of what he is saying? Well, at the very least, he is saying something like this. 
Jesus, would you allow me to wait until I have completed the formal months of mourning that take place, uh, that took place after funerals at that time? It is a, a long delay. At the very least, he's saying that. To my mind, when you look at the, the culture at the time, it seems most likely that he's saying even, uh, asking for even more of a delay. I think he's saying something like, Jesus, uh, I would like to wait until my father is dead and buried. Otherwise, the, the dad is still alive. He is asking the, uh, the equivalent of someone saying today, I need to get established, Jesus. I have responsibilities, you see. I'm a family man. I have children. I, I have parents. They, they did save for retirement, Jesus, but the economy is not what it was, you know. And so I must look after them at their stage of life. And uh, Jesus, therefore, I've got to wait until I've fulfilled all these responsibilities. And then I'll follow you. Uh, one other possibility from a more recent piece of scholarship is that the man is actually asking uh, that Jesus will let him wait until the second burial that sometimes took place, the reburial of the bones in what uh, archaeologists call ossuaries, and that would have at least been a, another year. Well, whichever those uh, options you prefer as you think about it, the one thing that this man is not saying is, uh, the, uh, uh, my father has just died, Jesus, can I go to the funeral? He, he's, he's asking for a significant delay. And I think most likely a long delay so that he can get established and get all that taken care of. And then, uh, verse 22, Jesus says to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Well, just like in the first disciple, Jesus is drawing out who he really is. First disciple, teacher, Jesus says, son of man. Here, this disciple, though he knows more than the, uh, the first uh, uh, person, the scribe, the first potential disciple, for he calls Jesus Lord, not that he has a full Christology yet, a full and complete understanding of who Jesus is. No, Lord could just mean sir, a term of respect, master. But yet I think he knows more than the first man. He calls Jesus Lord. But he is still, I think, treating Jesus here like a great prophet. He's treating Jesus, I think, and here is what I think is the resonance, like those of you who know the story will remember how Elijah, the great prophet from the Old Testament, called Elisha to follow him. And at that moment, Elisha said, let me go back to my parents and kiss them goodbye. And Elijah said, what have I done to you? Go back. And so this man, I think, is thinking that him following Jesus is a bit like an Elisha following an Elijah. He, he's not a teacher. He's a great prophet. 
But Jesus doesn't respond like Elijah to Elisha. Follow me? Let the dead bury their own dead. Now, without wishing to blunt the, the, the phraseology there that is a little in your face, let the dead bury your own dead, again, I think it's helpful to think through the cultural connotations at the time. And probably at the back of that is some Aramaic phrase, if we put it into contemporary terms, like this. No, my dear friend, you see, I am not just like Elijah. And you are not just like Elisha. I am the son of man and you need to follow me now. Waiting until you have fulfilled all your responsibilities and they are dead and gone is a dead end. It's an excuse. It's delay. And you know what I want from you. And so, of course, this, these are challenges. But at the back of them is Jesus deliberately drawing out of these potential disciples the, the recognition of who he really is so that they might see it's all worth This issue of Jesus' identity and who he is has been brought into particular focus at this point in, in Matthew's gospel. So at the end of Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus there has finished the, the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds are amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. That is, he taught as if he was the author He wasn't mastered by the Scripture as you and I should be. He was the master of it. He taught with the authority of the author, not like the scribes. And then when Jesus comes down from the mount with great compassion, he heals their sicknesses. And this is to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah he bore our sicknesses. He carried our infirmities. He's messianic. And then we come to this challenge where Jesus deliberately goes to the other side of the lake to, to draw out of these potential disciples the recognition of his value. The first man who's rather overeager sitting at the front of the class, like, I know the answer, I know. The other man who's rather reluctant at the back of the room, looking for a way out, the side door. And he draws out of them this recognition that he's more than they think, more valuable. And then, Jesus deliberately having given orders to go to the other side, then is the storm, as if to give sound effect to the challenge. <laughs> of course, Jesus, at a word of rebuke, the storm is stilled. And then finally, verse 26, 
they asked the right question. What kind of man is this? So I think about this story, it, uh, it reminds me, and I think this is the best illustration I can think of, of the point that Jesus is uh, making. It reminds me of the first time that I uh, came across a man who has uh, recently died, a man by the name of John Stott. Uh, John Stott was a well-known English Bible teacher and uh, became renowned globally through his writings. I came across him at Cambridge through the uh, the organization known as the Cambridge Intercollegiate Christian Union, or, or uh, uh, KICQ for short, if you like. And uh, I was meeting John Stott there, and he went on to preach at St. Andrew's Street Baptist Church, which is a church located on St. Andrew's Street, surprisingly enough. And um, I don't remember much of what John Stott said, though, of course, I heard him preach on a number of occasions, but... That one I don't remember too much, but I remember this. He, as it were, came around the side of the, uh, of the pulpit, as if coming off his notes. He was wearing glasses, and he, he took off his glasses. And as if it were extempore, uh, off his notes, he said this, you know, if I had to live my life again. Now, you have to remember that for me, already, he seemed improbably old. So a life again was a long time as far as I could see. Glasses off, off his notes. If I had to live my life again, John Stott said, I would live it all for Christ. Here's a man who was single for Jesus throughout his life. A man who always lived simply. Could have won many accolades in the secular world. If I had to live my life again, and probably old as he seemed to me then, a long time, looking back, I would live it all for Christ. And then he paused, as if thinking, it seemed to me, and said again, you know, if I had a thousand lives to live, I would live them all for Christ. That's what this passage is saying. He's worth it. Whatever the challenge to you might be, for the pure sake of Christ, of being with Him, the Son of Man, it's all worth it. Well, let's uh, bow our heads together as we seek to Look at these two disciples and the one rather over-eager, the other reluctant, and take on board their message for us today. Uh, perhaps, like me, you grew up in the Church of England and you are used to kneeling 
If you want to kneel to pray, that is fine. If you'd rather scratch your eyebrows and think, that is fine. Let us bow our heads. However you need to be to really make the most of this moment. And listen to Jesus and his word to you. Just a moment of silence. Oh, our Father, we pray that you would help us to never feel bitter at anything we have given up for Jesus. How silly that will seem in eternity. How silly it seems right now in the light of who you are. Whether it be comfort or homes, or houses, or family ideals, or whatever it is. To live life with total commitment to you at home in the intimacy of our family lives. To realize that for you it is all worth it. Father, help us to catch that vision of Jesus this morning together as your people. And so leave with rejoicing that we are following the Christ for whom every aspect of our life is all worth living for him. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.